Happiness Solved with Sandy Scarlatta. Today's interview is with Paul Wharton. Stay tuned. everyone. Welcome to Happiness Solved. I am Sandy Scarlatta, and I am so excited for today's interview. I'm going to be speaking with Paul Wharton. Paul is an Emmy-nominated television personality, author, producer, beauty, entertaining, and lifestyle expert, and he's an enthusiastic home chef. Paul can be seen as a lifestyle contributor on talk shows in the U.S. and U.K., as well as hosting his own Paul Wharton Style and Paul Across the Pond series on his YouTube channel. He also hosts a Sirius XM radio show that airs three times a week. I'm so looking forward to this interview, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Hey, Paul, how are you? It's so great to see your handsome face. Ah, Andy, it, it, you don't know how good it is to see you. It is like sunshine, and, and I just love it. You look wonderful. I was trying to think back because the last time I saw you was when my stepdaughter was interning with you and we were at a movie premiere. I think that was like 2014. You think it could have even been before then? Because I thought she was a junior in college because she graduated in 2015, which was when I, it was Brittany. Oh, Brittany. Brittany, of course. Don't tell her I said that. (laughs) She was wonderful. She was absolutely (laughs) wonderful. She's great. She's all grown up. She is a manager uh, for M&T Bank. She went through their regional training program after graduating from UVA. Yeah. And she's got a wonderful boyfriend. They're living together. They're planning their future. I'm so excited. I may have a grandbaby sometime in the next few years. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> although, although my stepdaughters, we joke that, that they say my son, Brandon, is going to be the first. And I'm like, no, 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 no. He's only 20. <laughs> no, that's way too no. young. Yeah, that's no, too no. young. You're not ready. I, I need at least 10 more years. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you look wonderful. So life has been good to you. It's been great. I am happier now than I have been in my entire life. Wow. And uh, I'm just very blessed. And I'm so grateful that we've made it through unscathed with COVID. Yes, uh, yes. I, and me the same. Um, you know, I'm in London. Uh, yeah. And we're fully locked down here. Everything's closed. The restaurants and, of course, the shops are open. But, um, you know, I stay pretty close to home. I do my little walk right around the neighborhood. There's a little Brompton Cemetery right where, um, right in my neighborhood. So I walk through the cemetery with my mask on and I just come on home and I'm just, you know, working on my projects during the day and, and waiting for my time to get, as they say, jabbed. Yeah. <laughs> That's so what brought thing. you to London? Well, From I tell DC you. to London. Well, you know, I've been in DC for quite a long time and, you know, I made a bit of a name for myself there as a local well, before, it's so funny, before I was the local, quote unquote, the local TV personality or the local TV guy, whatever, in D.C., I was the national guy, you know, because I used to be on MTV and VH1 and all these other stations. And I did pretty well for myself in D.C., was able to get on some of the big stations and do some things that not a lot of um, gay black men have done there. And I want lots more to be able to do it. But I realized I was in the midst of living someone else's dream job. <laughs> you know, I had kind of outgrown it for myself. But, you know, you, you talk to your mom and she's like, but, but who would you be if you're not on the morning TV? Like, how will people know how to find you? And so many people look up to you. And I'm like, but it's just not my thing any longer, mother. And so at a certain point, you have to really just kind of go for yours. And so one day I was sitting in my place in downtown D.C. I was looking down the Black Lives Matter Plaza and, and on down to the White House. And I had participated in and, you know, I marched. I had contributed. I had done what I felt I needed to do. And I wasn't feeling the joy that I was used to waking up with. My exuberance for life had gone from good morning <laughs> to good morning to yeah. a head nod. Do you know? Um, oh, yeah. And then sometimes I wouldn't say anything walking down the street because at that point people were fearful of even speaking to each other. Okay, I don't want to give you something. I don't want to get something. So, um, you know, all that, I was sitting in my window one day. This is about in April. And I thought, 
oh, where do you really want to be? Because the joy is fading. So let's do something about that. And I said, you know, I, I kind of want to be in London. Is that possible? <laughs> and around June, I started looking for a place. No, I started looking for a place before that. And I found a place a couple months later in June. And it took me about two months to settle on uh, my ship out date. And I didn't even tell my parents that I was that I had gotten a permanent place. I said, I'm going to go for a month. <laughs> I'm going to London for a month. Because, you know, I guess when, when you really decided that you need to make a move for yourself to find your happy place or to at least give yourself a chance to bet on yourself, sometimes, you know, it's hard for the people around you, especially if you're the fun factor. If, you, if you're the youngest in the family, maybe they baby you a bit. It could be any number of, you know, old relationships. It could be any number of things. So, you know, if you don't want to be convinced not to not to strike out and go and bet on yourself, then don't ask a whole bunch of people their opinion because people <laughs> don't like change. Yep. Uh, so I didn't. I just told them I was going for a month and I've been here ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know anybody there? Well, I knew I had about two friends and it's so funny Last Christmas, Christmas before this last one, so a year ago, Christmas, I decided that I wanted to be in a relationship. I mean, I've always wanted to be in a relationship, and I hadn't been in one in several years. And somebody that I saw kind of on and off for a long time, he had a terrible accident in 2016, and he um, aspirated, actually. And now he's, he lives in London, but I'm excuse me, he lives in uh, Ireland. Okay. And he can't talk or walk by, by chance. This terrible thing happened to him. He aspirated in his sleep. So I always thought that was kind of my backup marriage plan. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I always knew course. somebody wanted to marry me out there. <laughs> uh, and then when that happened, I was like, okay, well, what do I do now? And so I spent several years in watching my friends around me dating and getting engaged and some of them having kids, some adopting children, you know, it was just, Everybody was kind of moving on. And at a certain point, um, you know, I certainly had my friends um, and I certainly had my joy of being. But I had been by myself kind of long enough for my own, you know, for my own liking. So sure. that Christmas, I said, you know what? I'm always the plus one in the family. It's like my mom has her husband, Chip. My dad has his wife, Renee. My sister always has some man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she's just that type of girl. And uh, I said, you know, I want to start bringing someone to Christmas. And I set my tender to London. Okay. This is around last Mm -hmm. Christmas. And on January 6th of 2020, I swiped on a guy who, uh, his name is Gary. And we hit it off and we start talking every day. And a couple weeks later, we start FaceTiming. And we talked every day. And my friend, Vanessa Williams, the actress and singer, Mm -hmm. She was doing a show in the West End in London called um, City of Angels. And the big premiere date was on March 24th. Well, you know, March 24th was like Miss Kobe came a knocking. Yep. <laughs> so I was going to take Gary to that show and that was going to be, I was going to visit London. And when that didn't happen and then COVID kind of shut everything down, we, we kept talking. We just kept talking and we kept writing and, and the relationship, I really got to know him as a person. I mean, you know, I really am very thankful for the age we live in, the age of technology that allows me to stay connected to my mom every day and see her face. And my dad, he'll call me on his way to a construction site. My mom will call me having her coffee in the morning. You know, we can still stay connected. Well, the same FaceTime and WhatsApp allowed me to stay connected to Gary. So we are actually going strong, have a great relationship, just came up on a year of our first communication. But yeah, I just met him when officially in person when I came here in August and we are just happy as can be. I am so happy to hear that. There is nothing like that. Yeah. Uh, I know I met my husband and it was a it was at a time in my life where I didn't want to meet anybody. And I was like, I had been divorced for only a month, but we'd been completely separated for over a year. And I was like, I just got to do me. I have to work on me. Three weeks later, I was dragged to an event and I met him and we, it was like love at first sight. 
and we've been married. It'll be seven years this year. And that's it. There's just nothing like it. And and we that's all we want in life, right? We want that connection with another person. It's just so important. I'm so happy for you. Thank you so much. You know what I think is really important. And I say this to people, you know, it's it's kind of the same way I said about when I made my decision to come here. I didn't really, when you know, you don't ask for a lot of opinions on things. And I think, <laughs> I think that we all have to realize that as well-intentioned as our family is with us and our friends, um, you have to watch asking or, or, or involving too many external forces in your movement sometimes. You know, absolutely. You know, your friends are used to you being available when they get up in the morning, <laughs> the first call in the morning, and the last call at night. And so sometimes that could manifest itself in saying, Oh, that's what he does for a living. Oh, that's not enough money for you. Or, Oh, couldn't you get somebody a little bit more attractive? Or, Huh, I don't really know if you're a good fit for him. Do you know what I mean? And it, it yeah. plants a little seed. And before you know it, you look over at your friend and you say, well, that's funny because he looks just like your husband. Well, that's funny because your husband <laughs> makes less than him. You know, you're going home happy to your husband every night calling my single butt at home. So, <laughs> you know, I think, I think when, you're, when you're young and you're in your 20s and even sometimes in your 30s and you're trying to figure out what your next step is, um, it's really important to remember whether it's in business or a personal relationship Certainly ask for as many opinions of, from people that you love and know and trust. That's perfectly fine. But at a certain point, the question and answer portion of the program is over. And <laughs> that last, final decision has to be yours. And when you know, you stop asking. Yes. Yeah. And you're fo- you followed your heart followed in more my, ways than one. In more heart. ways than one. And I'm skipping around. <laughs> that's there's nothing like it there's yeah. nothing like it i was looking over your your media kit thank you for sending that to me yeah. today and and i i've known you for it's been over 10 years i think oh, yeah. you know and and i you're you're somebody i do look at on facebook but i don't get on facebook every day and sometimes i'm only on for a few minutes i'm reading your media kit and i'm going i'm a little starstruck paul <laughs> i'm nervous no 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 no, no. <laughs> Patty LaBelle. I mean, I knew you did that, but then I was reading more about it. What must have that, what must have that been like for you to meet your childhood idol and do a television show with her? That's incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was one of the most special moments. I don't even know if it was of my career or my life or kind of it's indistinguishable when you are working with someone um, or had that kind of experience with someone that you have really idolized. We tell a story in that show. It's a home for the holidays. It was a special I did on Fox Television Christmas 2017. And I had been doing holiday specials for several years. And I did one with um, Tyra Banks. And I did one with Paula Dean, But I had never done one with Patty. And so my father said, you know, you do a really great job with these holiday specials. You should absolutely do one every year. And I said, you think? He says, yes. He says, you should start planning it in June. So in June, someone happened to ask me, what are, you, what are you working on? I said, I'm doing a holiday special this year, like I've been doing. And they said, oh, yeah? With who? And I said, Patty LaBelle. Child, <laughs> I, hadn't, I didn't have Patty's phone number. I hadn't asked Patty the first. I hadn't talked to anybody about it. I started, and I didn't. I didn't know if it was the secret or a lie. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I didn't feel like it was a lie. That's really what I wanted to do. And, and then people would ask me, and then I would start writing down what I wanted to do in a special. Meanwhile, I haven't reached out to anybody. So in July, people would ask me, you're doing your special with Patty? Mm-hmm, sure am. Where are you going to do it? And one day I remember telling somebody at her house, <laughs> I had not asked anybody. And I'm going to tell you something, but I knew I wanted to do it. Meanwhile, I was saying that I was planning the show. I was writing it down. I was checking back. I was having the graphics done. And finally, one day, when I was trying to figure out a way to get to Patty, I realized that a woman who was a makeup artist from D.C., that I had been really 
just kind to, and we just, you know, we just had a good vibe. But I think when she was just starting out, I was just, I was just really nice to the woman. Come to find out she married Patty's son. Her no name's way. Lona. And she married Patty's son, Zuri. And I looked on Facebook one day and that came across my Facebook and I had her phone number in my phone. And I text her and I said, girl, I need you to help a brother out. So I pitched, the, I pitched the idea and she helped me and she talked to her husband, who's Patty's manager and her son. And, you know, it was hard to get it done. And then I started to put in the conversation, uh, can I do it at her house? <laughs> and they, they were thinking that they were going to do it in the studio or then maybe they were volunteering their house. And I said, no, no, I want to do it in the home of the diva. I want to see those poinsettias. I want to hear the music blasting. And that's exactly, I want to smell the, the pie, the patty pies in the oven. And that's exactly what happened. Um, that's and, incredible. And it wasn't until really a couple weeks before the shoot that they settled on it being at her house. Um, and we shot that. And so many, so many things were coming into play. I remember Fox came to me and said, Oh, our budgets have changed. This was about two weeks before we were going to shoot the show. Our budgets have changed and we can't do your, your Christmas Day special with Patty. But you what? Uh-uh. <laughs> Patty is flying in back to her house for this. She had her house decorated early for this special. Oh, there's no canceling. You know, I had to pick up the slack. I... I paid half the crew, more than half the crew. I hired an extra camera person. I hired a still photographer. I rented the van, the crew van, picked it up, picked everybody up. Everybody met me at my place. Everybody jumped in and drove the van to Philly myself. Wow. With 10 crew members in it. Unloaded at Patty's house. I mean, talk about nothing was going to stop that moment. But I want to tell you the best part of that day. And I got to take my mother Oh, oh my gosh. You know, sharing these experiences with my mother has been just, of course, my life's great joy that I could share these experiences with her. But of course, my mom knows I was the little boy singing the song, you know, Patty LaBelle <laughs> over the rainbow when I was a kid, arms flailing and, you know, performing to my mom and wanting her not to miss a single note, being mad if she was distracted when I was going to hit my, my high note from Patty. <laughs> so <laughs> we had this experience. I was 13 years old. Patty LaBelle was performing at Constitution Hall. And she did a three-night run at Constitution Hall. Now, this is about the second time I'd gone to her concerts. Well, my parents knew I was crazy about Patty, so they knew about night one and two. But I would sneak and figure out how to get a ticket to night three, too, as well. So... I found out on night two that Patty would go outside her the stage door and she would meet the fans. Well, I was too far back on night two, so I had to get tickets to night three. So I got <laughs> tickets to night three, knew when the concert was coming to an end, went outside several songs early and just, just hung out by the stage door. Meanwhile, someone was there to pick me up, the person that I had, you know, coordinated to pick me up. They pull up and they see me standing at the gate. I'm like the only one out there. The concert's still going on. And they're like, come on, let's go. I said, no, I can't go. I got to meet Patty. So meanwhile, the crowd starts to gather. The person's cursing me out from the car. You better come on right now. <laughs> <laughs> so the crowd starts to gather. I said, no, I'm in front now. Oh, no. So the guy next to me was like, oh, so the person just left, screeched off and left. Okay, I'm a little kid from the suburbs. But I didn't care. I didn't care about getting home. I just needed to meet Patty LaBelle. But the guy next to me said, my God, was that your mother? I said, no, that's not my mom. I said, but he said, but she left you. I said, it's okay. I don't care. I'm meeting Patty. I got to have to. Next thing you know, all the people in the crowd are talking to me. I look over and the guy that was standing next to me is on the other side of the fence talking to Patty LaBelle. <laughs> I was so sick. I said, how did he get over there? Oh, my God, I'm ill. Next thing you know, Patty looks over. She points at me. She says, you. And I said, me? She says, yeah, you. Come over here. I said to the security guy, she's talking to me. She's talking to me. And she said, 
your mother left you? I said, no, it wasn't my mom. And then she says, well, well, I can't just leave you out here. I mean, what are we going to do? If worst comes to worst, you're going to have to climb in the back of the limo with me. Oh, my God. Oh, sure. <laughs> Imagine my little fancy 13-year-old self. In my head, oh, I was going to be Paul LaBelle. Oh, I was. <laughs> I was going to send for my mother later. I love my mother, but I was going to go with Patty. I was going to start a whole new life. <laughs> and in a matter of like one minute, the other security guy says, oh, no, Patty, I'll take him. Of course, you know, if, if a 13-year-old had a death stare, that was me at that security guy. So we get to Patty's house. So we get to Patty's house, okay? 27 years later, through the date, 27 years later, I have manifested this, this dream, this goal, this mission, okay, that I was going to host my holiday special. I went through all the process of it. I planned it. I pitched it to Fox. You know, they said that they would do it with me. Then they ran out of money. I didn't care. I was going to pay for the rest and got Patty to be at her house. It was like I pushed through every single obstacle. So I'm in her house and her niece comes down and she's lovely. And the niece is talking to my mother. And my mother just says to the niece, Patty offered my son a ride home when he was 13 at Constitution Hall. She was going to take him <laughs> home. And, and I said, oh, mother, no, don't tell them that. Like, we're going to seem crazy. My mother is always right. Okay, first of all, let me just say it <laughs> on your show. My mother, listen to your mothers. Whenever you, if you're blessed enough to still have a mother or a mother figure or a father, parent, somebody that's older and wiser than you that loves you in your life, just take a chill pill. Every time you think to pop off and tell them what not to do, just let them take the lead. My mother says that simply. She doesn't get into the whole story. She just says, Daddy was going to take my son home. I said, oh, mother... I don't want to seem like a stalker. You know, this is crazy. <laughs> Patty the Bell comes down the step stairs. She emerges. She comes into the living room looking amazing, smelling amazing, looking amazing. There's diamonds everywhere. Teeth are bright, white hair, makeup, high heels. I mean, she is everything that you want her to be. And she said, hi, everybody. She came in just as sweet and loving as you would want her to be. She says, you, you are that boy that got <gasps> left at Constitution Hall. And so now I knew my mother told her that. I thought, oh, Patty doesn't really know. You know, Patty's just repeating back what my mom says. Then she goes on to say, and I was talking to my team and I said, look, I got this boy here. I can't. And they said, Patty, you can't just put the boy in the back of the limo and take him home. You can't take somebody else's kid. And then she said, I think my other driver took she knew the whole story. Wow. <laughs> My mother has been saying to me for 27 years, that's going to mean something to her. I said, mother, that won't mean anything to her. I was one little kid. She wouldn't remember that. Wow. And she did. So when you really, when you really, really want something badly, whether it's a relationship, like I decided last Christmas, I wanted a relationship. And I went about the business of setting my tender for London because I wanted to meet someone in London. And I went about my business of in the midst of a pandemic, moving to London, not caring because I wasn't feeling the joy. And I thought, hey, why not? I can try my career over there. I know I've got somebody that I like over there. Or if it's deciding that you want to, um, that you'd like to have a career defining, a career changing moment. And you just put it down on paper and work like the Dickens to make it happen. And that show uh, got me my Emmy nomination the next year. And I feel like it, that happened because people saw the genuine joy that, that I got from being there with her. And then she got from, from me being so excited about her. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Wow. That is such an incredible story. And I'm so glad you brought that up because part of my mission with my book and this podcast is just that, like the people you can create that world that you want. Yeah. And it's up to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure, and you've done it here. You've done yeah. it right here with this, with this show. And it's not something that you just willy nilly pulled together. When I got your first email and you told me about the show, I said, wow, 
I mean, you, the way you planned it and the way you're producing it, I mean, you decided you want to, but you've always been that way though. You know, that's just who you are. You go after it. And you also try things. You got to try this. Yeah, baby. And now I'm going to move on to something else. And I love it. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, this is my debut back into the game because after going through a divorce, I had to get consistent income. Yeah. And then I ended up being a single mother. I don't know if you know that part of my story. My ex-husband was driving drunk and was in an accident and two people died. No. And he's been in prison. Yeah. No. Yeah. So that's part of what's in my book, you know, because my life has just been about tragedy, you know, getting back up, you know, trudging forward yes. and everything. So yeah, he's he's still in jail right now and he will get out sometime this year, which is great. You okay. know, he went away when my son was 14 and now he's 20. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it's There's a lesson so there. What a lesson for And I'm happy that you're putting that out on the airwaves because yeah. um you know, I, I think just looking back on some of the times and you know, being in the suburbs and leaving someone's Christmas party knowing that you had too much to drink and you shouldn't be behind the wheel. I mean, now yeah. as a city person, it seems like I'm horrified by the thought of it, but I've also been there. I can't even lie and say that yeah. I, that I haven't, but, but every now and again, we need a little reminder. So if someone's hearing this right now, that's going to think twice before they get behind mm-hmm. the wheel after having too much to drink. Yeah. Cause it, it just affected so many, so many people's lives. And here I was an ex-wife with a 13 year old little boy who just went through something so horrific, right? And, you know, I, I had this, it, it was just a different set of circumstances than, than everybody else. And, and it was so weird because now what do I do? I can't, you know, everybody's been devastated in this situation. So I'm now back in the game. I, I started writing the book back in 2014, finished it in January of this year. Wonderful. I'm sorry, January of 2020. Okay. Before I knew what was about to unfold wow. in front of us. Wow. So it's, it should be released very soon. I'll let you know. Oh, I'm excited about you know that. Released. And yeah. tell me just a little bit more about the book, just so I know. Okay, so it's Happiness Solved, Climbing 100 Steps. Yeah. And for me, the happiest moments that I ever experienced were when we lived outside of Annapolis, Maryland. And every day I would climb those 100 steps from the river dock to our house. Wow. And I just felt so much joy and happiness. And then one day, climbing those steps with a friend, we were happy and laughing. My father greeted me at the door, and I learned that my older brother, who was 19 years old, had been killed in Germany, serving in the U.S. Army. Well, he, he wasn't killed. Circumstances were, it was in 1978, so it was never fully investigated, okay. you know. So that was when my whole world turned upside down. And so that's just one of the stories that I talk about in the book. So it's there's four chapters that is my life story, my story, I call it. And then, and I talk about how, you know, I had drug abuse, <laughs> you know, going through a divorce, having five pregnancies and one baby. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, dealing with my son and, you know, his father going off yeah. to prison. And my son actually describes how he experienced it in his college essay. And it's very profound. You put that in the book. That's in the wow. book. Yeah. So, but the rest of it is like, how do we get back to happiness? Why are we unhappy? What causes our, what causes these triggers and stressors and things like that? And then how do we get back to that? And, and at the end of the book, I have all sorts of exercises where you can either write in the book or use a separate piece of paper of, of just, this is what you need to do. It's all about creating lasting change because life happens when we're busy making other plans, right? And how do we not let those situations affect us for long periods of time. Because, you know, I, I get upset. I lose my temper. I, you know, just last night I was all pissed off at my husband because of something he said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, you know, you shift, you get back to it and, and okay, everything's okay again. But it's about not letting those moments affect your peace and happiness for too long of a period of time. Absolutely, absolutely. So how do you, I mean, obviously I, you're an expert in this, at this point, especially because you had to put certain things into practice so that you wouldn't bring all of that into this new relationship. Because yep. that's, that's a lot from your brother 
to everything that you've been through. And then, of course, the divorce. And then, you know, what happened with your husband? Yeah. Well, honestly, Paul, I went through years and years and years of therapy mm-hmm. <laughs> because I never dealt with my brother's death. Mm-hmm. And I kind of um, learned how to just smile and everything will be okay. Yeah. I never really accepted that he died. I kind of had this imaginary thing that he was still alive and someday he was going to come back. So I went through years and years of therapy, which was triggered by drug abuse um, back in the early 90s, and um, which I haven't touched over 30 years. You know, I haven't used any drugs. So, you know, that was the big thing. But then I just became a student of life. I got certified to be a life coach in 2004. And it's just been about you know, recognizing the different steps that it takes. You know, you have to forgive. Once you forgive, you have to accept. You have to not attach any expectations to situations or people or things. Many times, a lot of our disappointments come from when we're expecting somebody to behave in a certain way, you know, in a new relationship. If, If you didn't tell him, you know, oh, I, you know, when I send you a text, I kind of want you to respond yeah. within a certain yeah. period of time, right? Because I, I hear that a lot from a lot of my friends are going through divorce. Divorce now, it's kind of the thing, you know, after you've been married for over 20 yeah. years, it, some people just don't make it past that point. Well, it's been three hours and he hasn't responded to me. I'm like, well, have, did you tell him that that's what you expect? Well, no, he should just know to do it. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. You know, never assume that they... That they when sometimes you have to tell your friends, because I had to tell a friend of mine who just has gotten a divorce, she lives in London, and she's she's dating. And I had to tell her, you know, you it's too early for you to have all those expectations. Do you know what I mean? You know, she's like, well, yeah. he doesn't text me first. And then, okay, well, just calm down. Maybe he's not the one. But, you know, there again, you don't start on day two with um, too many expectations, you know, because you want right. the person to reveal who they are. If I'm telling you from day one what I expect, then once you finally settle into this relationship and decide to be who you really are, I might be shocked. <laughs> right. You know? But it's about, you know, not placing expectations yeah. on people, period. Yeah. You know? So there's so many things I want to talk to you about, but I, you have had such a climb, right? First of all, what got you into the business? I think it was modeling. But what got yeah. you into the business? But was there any point... Where you just was like, I can't do this anymore, oh and you wanted to give up. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> well, I tell you, um, you know, and, and I bring up, I bring up, you know, Hollywood, whatever you want to call it, whatever I have been doing. I mean, you know, I, I started creating shows a long time ago. And the first show I created um, was for a big network. And I try not to get too deep into the story like I used to because it became like my story, like I was wronged. And so in order for me to move forward, I kind of tweaked that story a bit because it was like, oh, that's mm-hmm. the guy who, you know, they stole the show from. But it's but basically I created a show. It did really well on a big network. It ran for 13 seasons, just one season with me in the beginning, and they kept it going. And, you know, I didn't get anything for it, like nothing. And this is kind of the issue with certain types of creators because the the whole Hollywood machine, you know, it typically for a long time looked after kind of white male straight creators. Those were the guys making the shows and in the yep. and in the meetings and and high fiving each other and and when I created the show that I created, all of them bought a house in the Hamptons and I, you know, got some gigs hosting you know, club nights or something, you know, I mean, it ended up helping me get a job on the Ricky Lake show, which is a fabulous gig, making people over on the original show. But, but essentially um, I got started because I was living in New York city and I had this roommate named Alicia Bridgewater and she was the assistant bookings editor at Cosmopolitan magazine. She's currently the Mm -hmm. bookings editor at uh, O magazine now. So she works very close with um, Adam Glassman and O oh, and, you know, one favorite things. And she mm-hmm. books all the models and everybody that, that you see in the magazine. That's my friend. And she was at, nice. the, at Cosmo one day and she said, I met this producer from MTV and they're looking for a show, looking for a show. I have a show. I didn't have a show, <laughs> <laughs> but I came, I wrote one that night. I wrote one that night and she was kind enough to share um, the woman's information with me. 
I wrote a show. I called her. She met me the next day. I stayed up all night long writing a show. And I pitched it to her. And she said, it's okay. I said, oh, God, I thought that was great. So then she called me back a couple hours later. She says, I'm going to meet you tomorrow with a camera. I'm going to videotape you. I said, okay. So then I went to the Soho Grand where she met me downtown in New York. Oh, I just knew it. I just, oh, I just, I was going to be a star. I just knew it. (laughs) She met me at the Soho Grand and she taped me telling the story about this show. She kind of had one of those looks like, okay. I said, damn, I thought I got that. I just don't understand. So she called me a couple hours later, and then the next day she had me come to Viacom, to 1515 Broadway. And I went in with the big boys, and they basically were like, well, what's it going to take to get you started? And we created a casting notice, and we did the show, and it turned out to be a big Emmy-winning big show. But the point is, instead of harboring a lot of resentment and anger, and a lot of times people in my business say, well, if I had known then what I know now, you know what? One day I realized if I had known then what I know now, they probably would have just passed on me. <laughs> it wouldn't have been, I would have been too much trouble because <laughs> I would have known too much. So I took some of those early opportunities that gave me no money. Um, and the most messed up thing about my industry is, is you know, certainly there's there's a SAG after a union, but there's really so many loopholes in places for you to old people's concepts and, you know, not pay them properly. So you have the pressure of being famous with no money. Do you know what I mean? What's the <laughs> Who point? to be famous and not rich? And I have, <laughs> and let me tell you exactly. something. Let me tell you what, something I put out to the universe. I will take rich any day of the week. You all can have, I can be totally anonymous <laughs> walking down the street. I'm fine with that. Trust me. <laughs> Exactly. You know, so it was just many years of, um, you know, some of those early days of just doing it, just just being happy to be in the room, being happy to be at the table. It's actually taken me 20 years to finally have a good agent. I'm represented by innovative artists in L.A. and UTA does my shows. They rep my shows. And I've got a great manager in, in the States named Jan Planet. She was one of the founders of IMG and my manager here agent here actually in the UK is Jane Brent. It took 20 years for me to finally get good representation. So really, I feel like a little, <laughs> I feel like a kid of 22 again, because I paid <laughs> my dues for 20, 15 years, 15 to 18 years of paying dues. And, and now settling into the creator executive producer seat because I'm really good at coming up with show ideas. I'm really great at attaching talent and talking through concepts and making stories and selling my concepts. And so that's where I've landed. You know, I'm still doing some things on air, which is great, but I'm mostly invested in my ideas. The team is set. No one's stealing from me anymore. If anybody's getting a house in the Hamptons, it's going to be me. (laughs) I mean, the other guys can get it too, but I want one too. Because for 20 years, um, I let everybody else take it. And, And so, but, you know, that's part of my story. And that helped because I wasn't saying no to everything. They gave me the experience I needed. So now, um, I'm a more, I'm humble. I'm probably a lot more humble than a lot of the people that have done as much as I've done. You know, because they, they didn't give me any money. <laughs> they gave me a little bit of money. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, you hear that so often with so many people who have made it. And one person that stands out is Tony Goldwyn. Yes, I've heard of Tony. Who has played the president? He played the president on Scandal. Yes, and I saw him last night on inauguration. Yes, 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 yes exactly. Yes, I don't know if it's his father or grandfather, but Goldwyn. That's Metro. Oh. You know, MGM. No. Yes. Yes. So how do we hear it from him? He obviously got his money. <laughs> right. But but my point is it took him so many years to really, you know, land that that role on Scandal. I mean, he did a lot of great stuff before that. Whenever I, I watch a show and I like the actor, I Google Absolutely. him and I just start reading and, you know, Absolutely. and I like to see what they did and everything. Because I was like, 
Goldwyn. Wait a second. Is that? And yeah, I mean, that's, that's his family. And so it just goes to show you that, you know, nobody's given anybody favors. You have to work for it. Yeah, you definitely do. You definitely have to work for it. And I think once you get to a place where they'll take your call, you can get a meeting, you've got a great rapport and a reputable team, then it's just important for you to tell the story like I'm doing here with you so that other younger creatives coming behind you, and it doesn't matter what their ethnicity is. I'm speaking from my experience. My experience as a, as a gay man, my experience as a black man that has marched to the mm-hmm. beat of his own drummer that has never tried to conform or change his style or change his look. You know, I changed my look. I probably want to change my look. But, you know, I kind of uh, do my thing. I always wanted to be myself. Yes. Um, and, and now I can finally do that. So, you know, I, I kind of like to tell people there are some things that you're going to have to do for free. <laughs> Even when, do you oh, know, yeah. there are some things that you're going to have to do that you know you deserve money for. But, but unfortunately, there's so many people willing to do it for nothing that sometimes you got to throw yourself in the mix until you get enough um, uh, you know enough people where you can pick up the phone and get yourself a proper gig or, you know, your reputation speaks for itself. And then eventually one day they will, there will be a switch. You know, it's like the light switch turns on and before you know it, you're rolling with the big boys. Mm, that's really mm-hmm. awesome. So I know, you know, your big thing is like, you just never said no, you just never gave up. You just kept going and going, but where do you draw that strength from? Where does that come from? Oh, it's a resilience. Well, you know, obviously, you know, I'm a bit of a mama's boy. And there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. I raised a mama's boy. <laughs> well, you know, actually, I should I should um, fix that up because I told my mother, I said, you know, I got to tell you something. I'm not a mama's boy. I'm a boy who loves his mama. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's what my son would say, yeah, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because I want the I, I want to know she's always there and I want her to know I'm always here for her. But I also don't want that to debilitate me. I want to be able to soar and travel and explore extraordinary adventures and take her along when I can, but sometimes go on my own, you know? So I think I'm just watching, you know, obviously my parents uh, divorced when I was 10 years old, not obviously, but, you know, they divorced when I was about 10 or 12 years old. And just seeing the fact that, you know, we, we, had a lovely life and she did what she needed to do to keep us, keep us living well. And, you know, just, I remember just a couple of days just going by her room and seeing her on her perfectly made bed, fully dressed, curled up in a fetal position, you know, you know, because this is what a mother has to go through. Sometimes you have a father that was the big breadwinner and, you know, their relationship comes to an end and the mother is trying to maintain and, you know, you don't really know what someone else is going through because she never like put that on us kids. But, right. um, but it, Which was little a good thing. things like that. Like I just remember those days, you know, going by her room or, or knowing we were at the store and she had to choose one cereal or the other. You know, do you know what I mean? I think for me, it's so funny. That still manifests. That still resonates today because my definition of success at a certain point was I want to go to Whole Foods and buy anything I want and I don't want to look at the price tags. <laughs> Do you know? It seems so simple. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wasn't asking to go to Neiman Marcus and buy anything. I would just want Whole Foods. Do you know? Right. And, and, mm-hmm. and I think that's why I have so many groceries now because <laughs> I overdo at the grocery <laughs> store. Because I just remember, <laughs> you know, coming from a family that, um, you know, when she, we would just stock up on everything. And then I remember when my, my parents separated, you know, she had to start making those decisions. I'm going to get this, not that. Now y'all can't choose one. It's not like the old days where you get all of them. So, you know, for me, it was like, uh, yeah, I just want to go to Whole Foods and just go wild. (laughs) So I get it it from my mom. You know, we fall down, but we certainly pick ourselves back up. And I think think some of those hard knocks earlier in my career where the phone stopped ringing, okay? Because this is what happens when you're an entrepreneur especially if you're in the creative world, the phone will stop ringing. So just go ahead and get yourself ready for that. Um, every year I had a new national show, whether they gave me any money or not was a whole other story. But uh, from the public perspective, I was doing it and I was out there, you know, 
Um, But one year the phone stopped ringing. It was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because that's when I learned every aspect of producing a television show, how to write the show and create it and what it takes to produce it and how to crew up and put your budget together and how to go out and find the sponsorship for it. And shoot, you don't have a, um, a network partner, you buy the airtime. You know, you make commercials for your sponsors. You see, that's what I had to learn how to do when the phone stopped ringing. And so that was on a, on a local type basis. But now that I'm creating shows that, you know, I'm selling to major networks, um, I know every aspect of that. So if somebody shows me a show budget, they can't, you know, bamboozle me. <laughs> you know, you can't pull the wool over my eyes. I know who yeah. gets paid what. And I know how that all works. Yeah. So, you know, so, you know, the things that I thought were horrible at the, in the moment turned out to work in my favor when it was the right time. I realized I'm not really on my time. If you're a faithful person, you can take it. If not, you don't have to. But I'm on God's time because yep. every time I thought I should have gotten something or been somewhere else, who knows what would have happened to me? I might not even be here talking to you right now. You know, if I if it had right. come too fast. If everybody had paid me for all those shows, I might have driven, I, I might have done something crazy. Who knows? As a, as a 20-something-year-old that when I was 25, MTV threw me a huge birthday party, you know, in the Meatpacking District. And I was just like the toast of the town in New York City. But I'm kind of happy things happened the way that, that it did because I, I staged up slow. <laughs> So so now I'm thinking about my retirement. It's like as soon as, you know, you finally start to get a little something, it's now you you think about your retirement and traveling with your friends and nobody's talking about, you know, going to the club, dancing on tables, going to the bathroom, acting a fool. Who cares about all that stuff? Like, I'm over it. (laughs) Now I just want to be comfortable and have nice things and have a refrigerator full of whole foods. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. So are you still doing an XM radio show? I am. So my Sirius XM radio show, um, we were on a winter hiatus um, and we are coming back the first, I, I come back uh, Valentine's Day week. So it's on Sirius XM channel 141 and I'm on Wednesdays at Wednesdays at six, Fridays at six and Saturdays at five. And uh, yeah, I just, this new season, I'm going to be doing a Paul Across the Pond theme. And I'm talking about my life and experiences leaving the, the States in the midst of a pandemic to come to London to pursue extraordinary adventures. You know, I'm going to show over here on ITVB um, called Totally Unbelievable, which is lovely. And I'm up for um, this big cooking show, which is great. It's, it's a, a really big one. So I'm excited about that because I love to cook and have fun. I didn't know that about you. I saw that you're doing a cooking show. I had no idea. Oh, God, I love to cook. I absolutely love to cook. So, um, you know, and and try my hand. It's not just about the relationship because I'm just not that kind of person. Um, Because that'd be too much pressure on the relationship. So I'm over here, of course, course, (laughs) pursuing. uh, I'm trying to sell shows. I'm open to being on other shows. And I want to share my experience, not to um, not just to boast about myself, but to really encourage people to bet on themselves um, when it seems like that's crazy. Oh, God, could you really do that? Can you just pack up and go? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you how. So that's what we're doing when we come back on my Sirius XM show. And I have celebrity guests and Whoopi's going to be on around uh, Valentine's Day with me, which will be fun. And um, yeah, we'll have a great time. So I'd love for your viewers to listeners to check it out. Awesome. And you have your product line. Yes. As well. I have judged, get judged. So, um, you know, I have always thought that defining your look really starts with refining your skin and hair. Because when I was a kid, I had the cystic acne. It was the craziest thing. And I went around to every doctor known to man. And I feel like I could have gotten an honorary degree as a 14-year-old <laughs> <an> honorary dermatologist <laughs> because I knew everything about, you know, I tried everything. And just over the years, I got pretty good at it, you know, my own skin stuff. And 
and um, would be giving people advice on what to wear and the makeup and the hair. And I thought, oh, you got to go one step beneath that because the, the skin really, to me, is so directly related to the confidence. It's the first thing people see. You know, you walk in the room, you're, you got a fresh face. Nobody tell you nothing. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, you know, the easiest way to put a hole in someone's confidence is, is, a, is a breakout. I mean, somebody like me, I don't really do, I have too many breakouts. But if I'd like to think that it wouldn't be a huge deal to me. I hope that I'm grooming myself to be that kind of person. That is certainly not, I don't consider it shallow. It's just it messes with your confidence, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I've got a four product range for my skincare line. This is, uh, I've got a great, beautiful antioxidant cleanser, um, a volcanic ash and sugar scrub exfoliant, a phospholipid and vitamin E night cream, and a, um, a refreshing kind of pH balancing toner. And I've got a six range um, hair care product line um, that's, you know, I've got my keratin line right now. I'm working on an argan oil um, line of um, shampoo and conditioner. I've got a great mousse that you can use for wet and wavy or for big round brush blowouts or roller sets um, and a wonderful serum that makes your hair so soft and easy to manage and easy to blow out. So yeah, people can check all that out at uh, getjuged, J-U-J-E-D.com or paulwartonstyle.com. It's on there as well. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. So you talked a lot about manifesting. Mm-hmm. If you could manifest any project into your life, what would that be? Good. That is really good. Um, I have a show that I, well, I love creating shows. Okay. That's like, it's my new, it's my work thing. I've been doing it for a long time, but now I'm super focused on it and I've got the team to back me up. Right. Um, so and it's indistinguishable from when people say, what are your hobbies? I'm like, oh, no, all, I, all I do is sit around and work on my shows. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't do anything. <laughs> I know. I don't have a hobby you either. Know, my hobby is <laughs> me. I'm the hobby. <laughs> Trying to keep all these lights on in here. That's a hobby. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I had this show um, that I came up with. Um, I'll just share with, with your listeners, even though somebody could steal it, but it's okay. Because I don't think they'll do that to me. They're nice people. <laughs> uh, I happen That's to right. have the most extraordinary friends all around the world. And it's just, and they're, they are young and old and black and white and straight and gay and trans and famous and not famous and all sorts of things. And um, I thought about how when I get together with my friends, how food and drink kind of seal the deal. You know, we're all, you know, we get there, but we're really waiting to get in the kitchen and and make something great and sit down at the table and um and and i just to me i just love how everyone does it differently and and i mm-hmm. thought just in, in where we are right now in the world and how you know it's kind of people look you give you a once over and decide if you're for or against them without two words coming out of your mouth i thought it would be yep. a really wonderful show to basically have the share with the viewers my experience traveling around the world to all these different friends and relationships that I really um, nurture, that I nurture. From my friend Fernando in Tricase, um, in the Puglia region of Italy, and Fernando is the most amazing spirit, and he lives in this beautiful castle, and he grows all his own vegetables, and he makes his own pasta, and when we have the dinners, he puts the big, it's got a, he's got a big, huge stone table out on the portico. And, you know, and, and I get in the kitchen with him and we make everything from scratch. And the way he likes wow. to cook and I take all that in and then he makes the little um, place settings and he cuts hearts and, with paper and he writes the names. And then he goes to the garden and he just grabs a bunch of flowers and he sprinkles it over the top. And it, everything is so wonderful and beautiful and amazing and i thought about my great aunts in cleveland and how these these you know little older women and they get in there and they will stay up the whole night before when they're having a dinner and they get in there and they're in these 
not huge kitchens, but there's so much food that comes out of those kitchens, you have no idea. Nobody has looked at a recipe. Nobody has measured anything. But everybody kind of has their own way um, of setting up their dinner. Toward, you know, working toward the big dinner and everything that goes into that and, and how they set up their bar and how they prepare their food and just how they set their home and the ambiance. So anyway, I really want to do a show capturing that day and that experience with all of my friends around the world. Like Whoopi doesn't cook, but she loves decorating her table, setting her table. That's her thing. So she goes all in and she has little keepsakes and items that she's collected from all around the world. And that is, I was at her house. The first Christmas I was at her house was 2013. I went to her house for Christmas as opposed to coming home to my mom's because I lived in New York City. Oh, wow. I know, right? <laughs> the only time she let me off the hook was going to Whoopi. And, and that's the first time I saw her set her table. And she really took me through the process uh, and told me about all these different items and where she was when she got this and the, and the um, just all the little the salt and pepper shakers and the knife holders and the different thing and the way she loved to do it. So you don't just have to be a cook to be able to bring people together in your home in a beautiful way. So, you know, whether the people have a lot or a little, um, all my friends and the people that I love tend to like to open their home in a very gracious way. And I want to capture that because I want to show people that, you know, I have friends that are all races and, and they look like all sorts of different types of people and we all come together over the food. So I think that's kind of cool. I like to manifest that. I love that. Yeah, I want to I share that. I love that. That would be something I would love to watch. Yeah, I'm happy. Yeah, because I love cooking shows anyway. Yeah. And um, But that, that just seems really neat. And just to have that diversity yes. in there. Yes. It's been as well. Great, great. So Paul, is there anything else that you want to share with me today? Well, I just want to share that I believe in living my life with love, faith, forgiveness, and gratitude. And I just want to say that I am so happy that you called me to do this because um, a long, long time ago when we met and you would come and pick me up and your little convertible and (laughs) <laughs> and we would go and have our colonics and all of that. And, um, you know, you just were really there for me and very supportive of what I was working on at the time. And and you didn't really know what I was going through in terms of not knowing where I belonged and just having those growing pains and rough moments. But it was always just such a relief to see you and to spend time with you. And so I just want to say to me, this is this is almost like my Patty moment in another kind of way. It's a full circle moment with a friend that has meant a lot. You came into my life Aww. at a very, it was a pivotal time. Um, it was a, a rough time. And I'm just so happy to see you settling into your passion. And for all that you've gone through, I'm just so proud of you. And so that's really what I wanted to share is I is I hope that we would have this moment and I'm just so happy that that we've had it and I wish you nothing but success. I'll be listening. I'll be following. I'll be rooting you on. And um, I just want to thank you for just your kindness. Oh, Paul, that means so much coming from you. Thank you. Well, I am so proud of you. You have no idea. And just thank you so much. I will be following you and cheering you on and, uh, Let's let's hope it doesn't. It's not so long before we chat it again. It won't be. It will not be. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. And and I can't wait to to listen to to your other guests and share this with all of my audience. And uh, I just think that you're a fabulous host, and you have so much to share. And I can't wait to get your book. And 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 then I'll interview you on my show. Sure. Yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> all right, Paul. Thank you so much. Okay, darling. Thank you for the opportunity. And bye, everyone. Bye, Paul. Oh, my goodness. I am so giddy right now. That was such an amazing interview with Paul Wharton. I am so proud of him. And his resiliency and determination is just so inspiring. He just doesn't give up. And uh, I love that about him. And I'm just so so proud of him. So proud of him. So if you want to learn more about 
Paul's uh, skincare line or hair care line. You can find that on paulwartonstyle.com. Also check out his Sirius XM radio show, which is on channel 141 on Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. And just, I hope you enjoyed it. It was so great for me. Thank you so much. Uh, please visit my website at sandyscarlotta.com for more information on the release of my new book, which should be soon. That will be available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. I also invite you to follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Coach Sandy Scarlotta. And all episodes of this podcast will be posted on my YouTube channel, which is also called Happiness Solved, but you can find it on any of the major podcast networks. Thank you for listening today, and I hope that you stay healthy, safe, and that your life is filled with joy, peace, and happiness. Goodbye for now. (laughs) 